Hi folks, welcome to the Epochs of the Lotus Eaters, where Bo and I will today be discussing the legendary King Richard the Lionheart. How's it going? Yeah, good. It's been a long time coming, this This one. will be a good one, hopefully. Or probably be more than one episode, actually. Yeah, probably fact, three uh, episodes. So it, his early life, one. the Third Crusade, and his later life. And yeah. There. yeah. Well, so to begin with, he is, he obviously is one of those people that towers over history. He's got a mm. good shout for being the most famous English king, you'd quite say. You could say. Um, He's definitely the most romantic English king, isn't he? Like, there's this, there's this heroic romance that's built up around Richard, which I think, by the way, cards on the table, I think it's entirely deserved. Because mm. I've, I've read many biopics and like, um, books about Richard the Lionheart, just because he's a fascinating character. And in no way does he seem to not actually earn and de deserve the uh, appellation that he has even from his enemies. Yeah, no, he's some sort of embodiment of chivalry, some yeah. kind of hero of men. Um, Richard I haters are usually the same people <laughs> that um, just despise the British Empire yeah, and yeah, themselves. Yeah. Weasley and, men. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Who wear spectacles and <laughs> a lot and yeah. have never thrown a ball in their lives. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know exactly the kind of people who Richard haters are. Yeah. Yeah. And it was only really until the revisionist stuff on uh, Richard is mostly 20th century stuff. Really? It's mostly communist subversion. What a shock. Mm, yeah. I saw something that the British hold dear and mm. try and subvert it inside out. Mm. The idea that he's gay, for example, there's just no evidence for that whatsoever. He's married to multiple women. But, yeah. Well, yeah, he was... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was a predatory heterosexual. Yeah, he he was a typical Plantagenet guy. Yeah, <laughs> liked his women, um, liked his wine, liked his fighting. Um, <laughs> in fact, let's address address that right away, right sure. off the bat. Yeah. The reason there's one line from uh, Roger of Howden, who's a chronicler yeah. at the time. There's one line. That's quite quite often what revisionists mm. do. They find one line from something that and, can be interpreted in many different ways. Yeah. And they extrapolate no. from that, right? Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I know I'm jumping in, but this really bugs me. So the line is that uh, where he was very close friends with Philip Augustus before they fell out in, in the, the, the earlier life. Um, Roger Howden says, Philip so honoured him that every day they ate at the same table, <clears throat> shared the same dish, and at night the bed did not separate them, end quote. Oh, they must be having sex then. Right. I mean, this is a modern prejudice where everyone has their own space. Mm. Yeah, their sense of privacy was very, very different. Very much so. Um, in the medieval era, almost, I mean, an entire family would sleep in a bed. Mm. Why would you have more than one bed? Mm. Really weird thing to say, mm. like, for us. But for them, they would think it's weird. Why do you each have your own bed? Don't you get cold at night? Mm. Well, you don't have central heating. So it actually makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? You know, we have always had central heating, Oh, I'm getting a bit cold. I'm just going to turn the thermostat out. That wasn't actually an option in a 12th century castle. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know. Also, it was very, very symbolic. A well-known, any historian that, that just jumps to the fact that that's sort yeah. of uh, homosexuality or something is deliberately forgetting the, the well-known thing <clears throat> that for politics, often you would share, two men, powerful men, mm. would share a bed mm. because it was a, a show of trust and that's what it was between them, that you share the same meal and you share a bed. Mm. Um, I mean, absolutely nothing sexual about it. No. And the, the one reason you share a meal is so you can show it's not poisoned. 
Mm. Right. There are there are lots of lots of actual practical reasons to do these things, and genuinely, it's absolutely freezing in a medieval castle. Another <laughs> thing they would do that sounds really weird to us, yeah. But sometimes to show their friendship or political alliance, they'd wear one massive shirt. They'd stand, <laughs> they'd stand right chest to chest, and this massive <clears throat> shirt would be put over both of them for a brief period. That does sound weird to us moderns. But again, it's showing yeah. that um, it's just showing trust. Yes, um, that's what it is. But yeah, even in the line in winter, hmm. there's an element that they say that Louis and Richard might have been lovers, but there's no evidence whatsoever for it. In fact, all his detractors at the time, they they there's various things they could criticise him for, and not once was it ever to do with sodomy. Yeah, because if you are you nearly always if you are accused of being homosexual. Um, it's just explicitly levelled against you. Yeah, and they love it. And it never was. They, they love levelling that accusation because in the Middle Ages, that was a deviant, right. dirty accusation that was difficult to shift. You'd be known as John the Sodomite yeah. or Roger the so Sodomite yeah. or something. Yeah. Um, and in Richard's life, no one ever said that to him because why would you say that to Richard? Oh, my God, he's going to beat me. They yeah. said he was a womaniser and a philanderer, yeah. well, but not Average homosexual. Um, at different times, different places and different times in history, homosexuality is more or less a problem. You know, in our day and age, it's almost actively encouraged, isn't it? In ancient almost. Greece, famously, classical Greece, it wasn't too much of a problem. In 11th, 12th, 13th century Europe, it was <laughs> an affront to God. You're close to being a heretic. You're spitting in the face of God. It was a real no-no. Deeply unnatural behaviour. Right, right, yeah, really bad. Unchristian behaviour. Yeah, yeah. So um, the fact that it was never levelled against him, but there is that one line, and 20th century, uh, like sort of 1950s, 60s subversives said, oh, he's gay. Yeah. He wasn't gay. No, it's just that okay. they are porn-brained, right. and they're gay. <laughs> that's what it is. Right. It's like two men yeah. in a bed. Well, they must be putting things up each other's whoopsies. But no, that's just not how it works, actually. Mm. Like, anyway, so... Anyway, just so <laughs> that, casting that aspersion aside... Our medieval Achilles, just like the other Achilles, wasn't gay, actually... Sorry to be a bearer of bad news <laughs> to the gay community. Um, so other than that, for centuries, and at the time, largely, he was considered a brilliant, brilliant king, a superb ruler in all, in all sorts of ways and facets. Yeah. Um, Nicholas, historian Nicholas Vincent calls him impossibly glamorous. Simon Sharma, who I loathe, uh, also called him the superstar of the dynasty. Evidently so. That he outshone Henry II before Henry II was even dead, which is not easily done because no. Henry II is, you know, one of the most powerful men in the world, certainly in Europe. Yeah. And his own son, second son, yeah. outshines him yeah. like, with ease, really. Yeah. Henry um, won a lot. So if you can make him look like he's playing second fiddle, you mm. must be pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, um, you know how perhaps some... Superstar athletes are lionized hmm. or put on a pedestal. Hmm. Um, he's like a, a superstar athlete, but also like a war hero, a Medal of Honor winner, a VC winner, oh, well, it, and but, your king all at once. But more than that, though, like yeah, but more there's than that, there's, yeah. there's what there's it's one thing being like, oh yeah, I was in a battle, I was wounded, I got a Medal of Honor or something like that. That's very impressive. But it's another thing that for a thousand years afterwards, people are like, well, he was leading the charge into the Turks here. He cut a sway through the Turks here. And all of his men had real trouble catching up with him when he was storming Acre or whatever. 
And it's just like, this is actually like Pyrrhus levels of main, uh, maniac, like war fervor. Mm. Like he, he really enjoyed war, physically enjoyed the fighting of war and was always at the front. And just, you can tell this was his, this was his jam. You know yeah. what I mean? This is yeah, just yeah, what yeah. he got off on. I've got a few quotes <laughs> saying exactly yeah. that. Yeah. He loved it. Yeah. He actually loved it. And yeah. he was obviously built for it as well. He's this huge guy, ultra muscular, handsome, you know, ruddy, bloody Norman King. It's like, okay, put him at the front. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had a quote lined up for a bit, but I'll read it now. Yeah. Um, Winston Churchill wrote, Richard, with all his characteristics, virtues and faults, uh, is cast in a, a heroic mould is one of the most fascinating medieval figures. He has been described as the creature and embodiment of the age of chivalry. In those days, lions were much admired in heraldry and more than one king sought to link himself to their repute. When Richard's contemporaries called him the Cœur de Lion, the, the lion-hearted, uh, they paid a lasting compliment to the king of the beasts. Little <laughs> did the English people owe him for his services and heavily did they pay for his adventures. Uh, for he was in England only twice for two short, two, two, two short months in his 10 years' reign. One thing we can say there. That was just during his reign. Earlier in his life, he was in England loads. He was raised in England until he was eight years old. So there's another thing. He was never in England. Well, there wasn't much work to be done in England in terms of putting down wars and what? rebellions and revolts during his reign. So he didn't need to be. Well, this is the... But he actually spent loads of his childhood and <clears throat> loads of times before he was crowned in England. So that's another aspersion which is a sort of a nonsense yeah but it's an aspersion that people don't realize is a massive boon towards richard's reputation right yeah. right yeah. i don't want a young king knocking around with nothing to do hmm. all he's going to do is cause trouble all he's going to do is find taxes to raise all he's going to do is get drunk and you know lech on people or something like that hmm. no 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 go out and fight our enemies please that's actually your job as the hmm. king and if you're not fighting overseas then something's gone wrong because that means you're fighting here so good. Oh, Richard's always overseas fighting the Saracen or fighting the Frank. Good. Mm. That's, that's an entirely positive thing. So he can leave us alone to run our lives. Mm. That's exactly the kind of king I want. That's entirely to his credit. And mm. one of the reasons that John sucks, frankly. Yeah, right. <laughs> that John won't piss off somewhere else. Exactly. When we get on to John, <laughs> that's exactly the issue. Everyone's like, oh, he's always looking over us. And, exactly. Yeah. Like, sorry, yeah. I'd rather a Richard than a John. Churchill goes on, yet his memory has always stirred English hearts, other than 20th century subversives, and seems to present throughout the centuries the pattern of the fighting man. In all deeds of prowess, as well as in large schemes of war, Richard shone. He was tall and delicately shaped, strong in nerve and sinew, and most dexterous in arms. He rejoiced in personal combat and regarded his opponents without malice as necessary agents in his fame. He loved war not so much for the sake of glory or political ends, but as other men love science or poetry, for the excitement of the struggle and the glow of victory. Uh, by this, his whole temperament was toned and united with the highest qualities of the military commander, love of war called forth all the powers of his mind and body. And this is just a recurring pattern from every account of Richard I've ever read. Mm. You just can't talk about this man without talking about him as... Someone who's just born to it. Mm. You know, he clearly is just physically very well geared towards it. I mean, you know, someone of my stature, not really very well geared to war, but <laughs> Richard's like, you know, 6'2 or something. Obviously, a big, broad dude, massive hands, like, you know, rugged upbringing. Okay, great. 
I'm glad we can produce men like that, to be honest. And technically good. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you could be yeah. big and strong, yeah, but, if you're not... but not actually have yeah. much skill mm. in fighting, whereas he, he did. But he was he trained really by did. William Marshall, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, <laughs> trained by the best that in Christendom. How fortuitous. Um, another quick paragraph then from Churchill, just mm. about, in general terms, about him, um, just sort of set him up, set the scene. Um, Although a man of blood and violence, Richard was too impetuous to be either treacherous, treacherous or habitually cruel. He was as ready to forgive as he was hasty to offend. He was open-handed and munificent in profusion. In war, circumspect, in design and skillful in execution. In politics, a child lacking subtlety and experience. His political alliances were formed upon his likes and dislikes. His political schemes had neither unity nor clearness of purpose. The advantages gained for him by military genius were flung away through diplomatic ineptitude. When on the journey to the east, Messina in Sicily was won by his arms, but was easily persuaded. Uh, but he was easily persuaded to share it with his polished, faithless ally, Philip Augustus. Fruits of a victory which, more wisely used, might have foiled the French king's artful schemes. The rich, tenable acquisition of Cyprus was cast away even more easily than it was won. His life was one magnificent parade, which, when it ended, left only an empty plain. End quote. That is uh, the, the <clears throat> how to put it, uh, the downside of being a bold and brash warrior who is loved by everyone is that you're trusting and naive and uh, straightforward. Yeah. And yeah. that means that if you have, um, was Philip Augustus his cousin? He was his cousin? Yeah. What, what was the relation of Philip Augustus? What, to? Richard. Oh, um... I'm sure they were like cousins. They were related. It might be distant relations. They must have been distantly related in some way. But like, if you've got a foil in the King of France, who is also a young man, r roughly, relatively young, uh, and is kind of weedy and uh, scheming, um, which Philip Augustus is, um, then you can see how the the hero is going to get undone by such a person. Um, which I don't want to spoil anything although this happened 800 years ago. Um, but that does kind of happen, actually. It does um, seem Richard was pretty straightforward. Yeah. Um, I mean, Churchill there describes him as a child politically um, because he wasn't particularly into sort of deep layers within layers, games within games. No, it wasn't intrigue. at all. Yeah, it was just, uh, I'll, treat, I'll treat you straightforwardly mm. as a man. I expect the same back. And, we'll have um, back. Yeah, and if not, <laughs> yeah, we'll come to sword play, and that's, yeah. that's about it. Yeah, um, and there's, there's something I quite like about this, because there, 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 there are a few people who are so effervescent in their martial skills that they can afford to be like that, <laughs> right? But you, you do get those people. And again, I, he reminds me a lot of Pyrrhus, because Pyrrhus is very much like this as well, where he's, he's actually just a, a nice guy, who's just really straightforward and goes, well, look, we'll just fight about it and, you know, God's going to decide the victor, which will be me. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> then everything's sorted and every, everything was done honestly and it's all on the level. And that's how, you know, the, the, the will of the cosmos will have it. And, of course, to anyone who's not a giant warrior, that sounds awful mm -hmm. because they're mm -hmm. like, okay, but I'm going to lose the honest fight. And it's like, yeah, maybe, you know, but you'll lose honestly. It's like, yeah, but I'm, a, <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to scheme and backstab and and manipulate and and the the archetype that is the richard sort of 
slash Pyrrhus archetype doesn't do that. But when they win, they're not bloodthirsty, they're not cruel, mm. they are forgiving to a fault and mm. manage to generate a great amount of love towards themselves, even if it's not from their contemporaries and it's from the people who are under them. So. Yeah. And this is why Richard is finds himself embedded in the Robin Hood mythos <clears throat> in mo the modern mind. It wasn't Richard who was the king in Robin Hood, but the modern mind assumed, oh, okay, it's got to have been King John who was making the country terrible, where Richard will come back and fix it because he's good-hearted and Richard's and John's evil. And so the, the thing kind of gets melded into one, and Richard fills that spot because of what he actually appears to have been like in life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, and it seems to have been fair, mm. uh, fair-handed, and um, yeah, didn't hold match. Well, Let's get into the details of his life. All right. um, I said last time that we go into the, his rebellions against his father. We'll, we'll a bit, hmm. but perhaps not too much, because there's so much, so many details, so many great stories and anecdotes. Um, so in the last one, talking about Henry II, we mentioned the Great Rebellion hmm. of 70... Uh, wait, wait, well, wait, before, we, before we get there, um, let, let's talk about his childhood, shall we? Okay. Um, just, well, not much is known about his childhood. Well, Very uh, little is known. I was going to say. In those times, um, children need to shut up and be quiet and do as they're told, and that's it. Least... And anything they've got to say is not of any interest whatsoever. So most chroniclers don't really say anything about the childhood of people in this period. But also there's quite a good chance they won't survive childhood, which is probably yeah, a maybe. reason for it. We have got a few details, and I can tell you about them, but there's not loads. No. You know, like, for example... In the story of Alexander, there's all sorts of stories about his, mm. what he was like as a child mm. and things he did as a child. We don't really have right. anything like that for Richard. Right. Um, in this period, it seems, uh, well, it was the case, that when you're a child, before you become a man, which might be about 14 or 15 or 16, but before then, um, you don't count almost. Yeah. You don't count. Uh, that's a, maybe a, a bit harshly, but, yeah, no, uh, well, so the things we know is that um, he would have had, obviously, a first-class education, which in those times would have meant languages, mainly, and music, hmm. funnily enough. A uh, bit of music, uh, be able to sing or, and or play an instrument, uh, but mostly languages and poetry and things. Um, he apparently was the favourite of Eleanor. Um, and in The Lion in Winter, they, they play on that a fair bit. Oh, yeah, we haven't, I was always your favourite. We, like we haven't uh, <clears throat> stressed that enough. Uh, his mother's Eleanor of Aquitaine, mm. phenomenally influential and powerful woman, utterly ruthless and capable in her own right, and of course his uh, father's Henry II, most powerful man in Europe. So he's got big shoes to fill, and does. And he's got an older brother, Henry the Young King, mm. who is expected to inherit. Mm. So Richard, until a certain point, until the Young King dies of natural causes, uh, was never, would never, all his, all his childhood and formative years, he would have been told, no, your older brother will be king. Yeah. Not you. You may well get duchies and things, yeah. but you won't be king. Hmm. Um, and so, luckily, he's got the sort of temperance like, well, there's always something that a spare prince can do hmm. in the medieval era, and that's go to war somewhere, possibly on a crusade or something like that. Hmm. And so, doubtless, Richard would have spent a lot of his time mentally just thinking, okay, well, Brother will be king. And he's probably not that bothered about it. Like, he strikes me as the sort of person who's not, like, going to nurse a grievance about that, you know? Right. And, like, because there are some who would be terribly bitter and sit there and plan how to kill their brothers and things like that. But I, Richard, I don't think, is that type. 
No, no, there was no, there's no evidence that he ever planned or wanted to kill his older brother or anything no, like that. No, no. no. So he obviously would have just gone, okay, fair enough. You know, I'll be the Duke of Normandy or something. Mm. And mm. what can I do with that? Well, I can conquer a lot of France. You know, so that's doubtless what he was thinking of when he was growing up. So if, he, he would have had a martial uh, education as well, right? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, if anything, these brothers were more likely to team up with each other against their father rather than yeah. against each other. Uh, but sometimes against each other, though. <laughs> um, but yeah, not murderous. No. That's the thing about this Plantagenet family in this period, is they did restrain from killing each other. Loads. Which is they a... could have. But there's a point a bit later, Richard could have maybe imprisoned or executed John. And he, mm. he completely forgives him and gives him loads of land and stuff. Yeah. Average so, Richard decision. We'll get to it's, that. It's kind-hearted, but really, really foolish. Um, but, the, but this is an interesting thing as well, um, which I, I really like. This is one of the reasons I find the Plantagenet family just endlessly fascinating. And I've got a lot of time and like forgiveness in me for them because it's things like this. Because it's very easy for especially a medieval family where the stakes are really high. You're, you're competing over kingdoms. You know, Western Europe is yours. It would be so easy to just murder each other. It'd be just the quickest and easiest route to solve all of the problems, but they don't. Mm. And these guys are very martial. Like, they all fight. Almost all of them. Like, John's, mm. like, the only one, really, in the Plantagenets who really stands out for being a bloody, you know, soft sword, you know? And that's, you know, he, mm. he gets that nickname because he's not a warrior. But the rest of them are just martial men. And so the fact that they're not murdering each other every five minutes, when that's literally the natural habitat of the Plantagenets, is remarkable to me. Yeah, during this period, uh, the reign of Henry II and then later Richard, uh, they didn't kill each other. Later, John does have one of his nephews, Arthur, killed. Yeah. So John breaks that mould. But the thing that springs to mind is I was once again listening to the audiobook of, of Dynasty about the, about the Romans, Judeo-Claudian mm. uh, Tom Holland. And uh, he said, that, reminded me that Augustus never killed anyone in his own family. He exiled a lot of them to, mm. to remote islands, mm. including his own daughter and stuff. But he never uh, ordered any of their killing. Mm. Of course, as soon as we get to Tiberius and Caligula, yeah. they start killing people. So, yeah. But yeah, Richard didn't... Well, there's one point. I'll mention it now, um, but it's a bit later in the story. But At one point, John revolts. We'll probably get into it. It might be episode two or three, but mm. I'll just quickly mention it here. John revolts against uh, Richard and... It brings him all sorts of headaches. And when Richard bests him, yeah. he says, you're forgiven, you're, you're only a child. He was 27. <laughs> and he goes, not only are you forgiven, I'll make you, uh, I'll make you Duke yeah. or, or um, Earl of, of Dorset and Somerset and Devon and have loads of lands. And so, yeah. John, if he'd cut your head off, everyone would be like, well, that's what he gets. Right. Yeah. By rights, he could have either <laughs> imprisoned him, exiled him, or even had him killed. Yeah. And uh, no one would have bad an island because mm. no one liked you anyway. Mm. So it's just like you are so lucky, so lucky. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, John is lucky. Uh, also, when after his childhood, when he sort of first appears really on the stage of history, it's during the Great Rebellion, which mm. is like eleven seventy three to four, is it? Uh, and he's about he's still only about fifteen or sixteen years old, mm. and yet he sort of takes part in that. Um, you know, as a. a, a as a chevalier, as a knight, as a knight, as a, well, in fact, Louis knights him before his own father does. Uh, but as a mounted man at arms, mm. you know, and he's 15 or 16. I mean, um, as soon as you're 
strong enough, that, that's it, you're in the game. Mm. I mean, um, William the Conqueror was about 15 mm-hmm. when he first sort of cast the shadow of his hand over his, bar- over his barons. Mm. Um, it is quite young, but if, you've, if you're physically capable and you've got enough force of character, force of will, you can do that stuff at 15 or 16, and also, just about. If, if you're a young prince, um, this has been your entire life. Yeah. Like you don't know anything else, actually. Yeah. And yeah. I, I can tell you now, man, kids will pick up the system around them a lot quicker than I think we give them credit for. You know, like a, a, a kid will realize that, um, like sometimes my children try to tell me off. That <laughs> um, you know when I like if if I like go to the fridge and have like a bit of chocolate or something for dinner, you know my the kid will tell me off, right? <laughs> you know, and he's right to do so because I tell them that you know you have that after dinner, and it's it's the, the rules are <laughs> explicit, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And so if you've grown up in a courtly manner and you know all of the rules, by the time you're 15, you are going to be an expert in these rules. They're going to be all you know, mm-hmm. actually, uh, mm-hmm. and so. And, no... and it is all he knows. There's a quote a bit later, but you're exactly right. All he's known is sort of these petty wars that his father's been engaged in mm. and what it means to be an Angevin king or mm. a duke in the Angevin empire. Mm. Um, why this person has to be put down. Mm. You know, why this was an affront. And you know, what you do about that. So during the Great Revolt, which is basically the young king mm. rebelling against his father, um, but everyone jumping on board with that, the King of France and all the different Dukes of Flanders mm. and, and even the Scottish King and things, and Richard jumps on board with it. Um, there's one story uh, uh, at La Rochelle. There's a, the siege of La Rochelle. And again, he's only like, I think, 16 years old. And he sort of um, takes the town within a few hours or within one day. And again, personally sort of getting involved and stuck mm. in. So straight away... Um, he's sort of a, a martial leader hmm. um, involved in sword play and things personally hmm. uh, straight away um, so it does seem that he's char- you know some people leap onto the stage of history almost fully formed it seems <laughs> of course they're not but that's sort of the impression you get um, and it was at that time just after that that he's knighted by Louis of France hmm. um, but as we said in the Henry II one, Henry II defeats everybody during the Great Rebellion. Uh, but he does forgive mm. Richard, sort of, of course. Um, uh, so over the next few years, um, he, is, he is given, at one point he's given the Duchy of, of Aquitaine because Henry imprisons Eleanor. He needs someone to control the Aquitaine, so he gives it to Richard. Um, and Richard spends the next few years sort of putting down all sorts of rebellions, keeping law and order, really, in the mm. Aquitaine. There's one example of where um, some, there was some marauding mercenaries, foreign, basically foreign mercenaries throughout Aquitaine. He sort of uh, surrounds them, bests them, and then um, puts a lot of them to death, either by drowning or blinds a lot of them. Some people, again, 20th century subversives, say, look, here's a, here's a, a maniac, a psychopath. It's like, no, that was good. 
That was totally lawful. That was the right, that's a good thing to do. That's the correct thing to do. But it's These a are lawful foreign thing mercenaries going around raping and pillaging. Yeah. No, they deserve death. Yeah, things. but it's, it's totally lawful. Like, yeah, that's right. the thing. The, yeah. You know, this was totally within his remit to make this judgment of life and death on them. And like you say, there were a bunch of foreign mercenaries who were raping a bunch of Aquitanian women. Yeah. Plundering a bunch of, murdering a bunch of men. Yeah. Kill them all. Yeah. Talking yeah. about. Right. Like, why would you even blink at that? Yeah. Subversive. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no sympathy whatsoever. Um, you know, sympathy for the criminal comes out in space. Why? Why? Our society is perverted so badly, isn't it? That you, oh, yeah. you're immediately supposed to yeah. feel for the criminal. Like, uh, how about no? Well, remember, every single person no? who's ever attacked Richard the Lionheart uh, has, always, has always held the opinion that the criminal is the victim of society. Yeah. And I just yeah. don't agree with no, that. No, 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 don't So, no. No, the criminal can be drowned or yeah. blinded or something. Yeah. Depending on the severity of their crimes, absolutely. Yeah, well, I'm talking about rape and murder. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty <coughs> severe crimes. And pillage, yeah. stealing from innocent people and stuff. Yeah, I would have just hanged them all. Yeah. So um, there's a, one of the other rebellions is, a, is at one point um, um, Henry uh, wants to take the Aquitaine off of Richard, hmm. give it to John. And Richard sort of refuses. He's like, no, this is sort of my, my thief. This is my, this is mine. I've spent all uh, this time putting it in order. Mm, Come on. I will not give it up and I'll fight for it if I have to. And so he does. Mm. Henry sends Geoffrey, the third son, and John down to the Aquitaine to fight. And there is a, apparently a, a fairly brief war, just one, I think one summer's worth of campaigning. Mm. In the end, he sends Eleanor down there. <clears throat> As I say, um, he was her favourite. And just to convince him to sort of give up, because Henry doesn't want wars between his sons, to sort of encourage that sort of thing. Mm. Um, and Richard does finally, eventually acquiesce and give it back. Well, that's um, amusing as well. Right, I'm going to send my two sons down there to fight you. Okay, that didn't work. Uh, send his mum. Yeah. <laughs> send his mum. <laughs> He's the favourite. She'll be able to win him over. Yeah. At one point, I'll quickly retell the anecdote. I believe we said this during the William Marshall one, but it's the mm. great anecdote. When they came to blows, I think it was, I think it was during that uh, rebellion um, at, outside the walls of a particular castle, and neither of them were wearing their full chainmail and plate armour. Mm. Uh, but they see each other, and they've got lances, and they charge at each other. And um, he does, William Marshall does... Unhorse him. It looks like he's going to strike Richard with his lance, but at the last moment moves his lance to just impale the horse. Yeah. To watch the full video, please become a premium member at lotuseaters.com. <laughs>